Welcome to It's Just Historical, a podcast that celebrates today's historical fiction. I'm your host, Suzanne Dunlap, author of nine, soon to be ten, historical novels for adults and teens. Join me and my guest for the next half hour while we talk historical fiction. Writing it, reading it, publishing it, and more with tips about process, pet peeves, and preferences. I'm here with Kate Emanizer, who is a fabulous librarian in Virginia, and she's going to give you the whole name of it because it was a little bit too much for me to remember. But yeah. Kate's a great supporter of historical fiction, which is one of the reasons I have her on here. Kate, hi. Hello. Hello, everybody. Yes, I am a librarian and branch manager at um, a branch of the Pamunkey Regional Library System. So I am at the Mechanicsville branch. So if you're ever in the Richmond area, you can just look us up. We're right outside of there. So I'm excited that you invited me to join you because yes, historical fiction is my jam. So I love it. I love everything about it. <laughs> that is so awesome. We love to hear that. And Authors always love to hear that librarians like the genre they work in. <laughs> librarians <laughs> are really important. First, I just want to ask you, what has library life been like during this lockdown, this pandemic for you? Yes. Libraries across the nation really struggled with how to handle themselves. We are paid by our constituents to provide them a resource and to provide them a service. And how do you do that while maintaining the safety of both your staff and your patrons? So uh, the Pamunkey Regional Library System was actually one of all of the ones um, in the surrounding area where I'm at where we closed our doors, but yet we provided curbside service to our patrons the entire time. So we closed one day, I think it was like that dreaded March 16th date where the world stopped and everyone was dancing on the ceiling trying to figure out how life was gonna work. But we closed that one day, figured out how we were gonna do the curbside service at all of our 10 different branches. And we just plugged along. We then, as things scaled back, I think we were able to reopen in stages. So we have reopened the doors. We are, you know, limiting seating areas, limiting the capacity so that people aren't on top of each other. We are requiring masks and we do try and clean as best of, of our abilities behind them as they use the computers and things like that. But we were very fortunate. Nobody lost their jobs. Everyone was able to work and get a paycheck. Not too many places can say that. There are arguments for the pros and cons of us staying open and providing those services, but I know that every single patron that I talked to was just overwhelmed with gratitude that we were there for them. If you think about it, what resources did people have? There was nothing. There was nothing. And even if it was just going to the library and getting a book, like that mental health stimulate is just, was just powering for people. Yes. We were very lucky. That is fabulous to hear. We have a wonderful local library, Forbes Library, which was my second home. It was as working on, you know, at, at home. Sure. And it kept up its online stuff, but... I don't think it's opened its doors yet again. And, and I, that's one of the things I miss most is actually being able to go there, not just to go and look at, there were events that happened there. One of them is online now. They had a writing room, a sort of community writing thing, right. which is now, which is, has been online for the duration. And, but I used to go and sit 
when I would get tired of the sight of my own office, yes. <laughs> I would go there and sit. And of course, in this horrible hot weather we've had, we have no air conditioning. So it's oh. always nice to go to the office. And we're not quite as bad as Virginia when it comes to that. It, it's, heat, a but, it's a yeah, little warm. It's just a little warm. Yeah, exactly. But so that's really wonderful to hear. What, in terms of you know, opening your doors for patrons, do you are there events that you used to have that you can't now, or are you trying to keep up with them? How's that going? Sure. So one of one of the mainstays of libraries these days is being a community center, letting patrons know that you can come to the library to learn anything, to do anything. Story times, of course, are library's bread and butter almost. We transitioned to online story time pretty quickly. I would say within the first month or so, we transitioned into an online story time. We had to just stop doing all of our other programs, which was devastating to us because just at my branch alone, my goodness, I I have a genealogy club. I have a knitting club. I have two book clubs. I have a puzzle club. We offer Microsoft classes. We offer 3D printing classes. We had tutors. We had the master gardeners. So you're talking all of these programs on a weekly basis. It just had to stop. And again, we have not done that yet. And we're not looking at doing that in the fall. We're looking at still keeping our doors, our programmings offline, as it were, um, just simply because we cannot ensure people's safety. The, the governors are saying that, yes, sure, you can have groups of X number of people, but social distance. And we can't provide that safety net for, for patrons. So we're just deciding for right now to do as many things online as we can. So we're hoping to expand our online programs to include more elementary school and more young adult programs, and then possibly do, you know, maybe some author talks or just some type of adult programming online. But that's a learn as we go. We never really did that. Some libraries have been doing online programming for years and years, but my library system hadn't crossed into that big wide unknown yet. So we're, we're getting our feet wet and we're just managing as best we can with that. Yeah. And what's really interesting to me about these times, everybody had to scramble to figure out how to do what they could do online, mm-hmm. what, they, what they had right. to just stop. But there are ways, there are certain ways in which transitioning to this online model for some things. For instance, I teach writing workshops at a local studio, which is wonderful, a gorgeous space normally, but we haven't been in there since early March. Right. And now all the workshops have been online, which takes away some of the experience of them. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it allows people who don't live immediately in the area to attend. Right. So yeah. do you think you'll continue to keep some things online once everything... T- goes back to normal. (laughs) Once we get back to normal, whatever definition of that new normal is going to be, I don't know. I think it's going to depend on the participant level that we have as we start to unroll some more online programming. We do service communities that don't have guaranteed internet. So for us, that's certainly a barrier for providing that service. Doing the in-house programming is really something that we prefer to do simply because we know that 
high-speed internet is not available for, I'd say, at least 70% of our patron base. Again, it's really going to depend on what the participation level is and how staff reacts to being able to do that as well, because you have to have the staff and the time and the resources to do all of those programs online. So it's not just, oh, yeah, let's throw together a program and stick it online. It's not quite that easy. Even just you have to figure out who you're going to have doing the scheduling, making sure that all of the audio equipment is working correctly, that there are no distractions. So there's more to the puzzle than just one piece. Yes, absolutely. And we've been suffering with bad internet connections. That's been our, <laughs> the bane of our <laughs> existence. But I'm, I think people are finding ways to get through it, and we all will, which is wonderful. And of course... You don't have to go anywhere to read a book. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I have tons lined up to read. But so now let's shift away from the pandemic and back to your normal life as a librarian. How do you, how, what is the process? What the process does your library go through to decide to acquire certain books? Uh, every library, as I'm sure everybody can understand, is different. Every library has different policies. If you have just a one branch library, then you probably only have one person selecting all of the books for your entire library. Libraries such as my own, which is a multi-branch system, we have a collections team. So they work jointly to go ahead and make sure that we are providing enough material in each type of genre to service the needs. So, you know, certainly I don't need to have an entire collection of medical encyclopedias. I'm a public library, so I don't have to have something so specialized. Maybe one medical dictionary is going to be enough to service that. So it really is a balancing act. But for the main part, our collections team will go through what our uh, third-party vendors offer. Um, certainly the third-party vendors will do what they can to make the selection process easier. They'll have, hey, best-selling authors for young adults or for adult mystery or adult thrillers. So you can go ahead and you can just say, hey, just send me all of the new items of this author, and the vendor can do that. As a librarian, I certainly have some input. So if I know that a title is coming out that I think would be really important to have, I can just send that through to my collections team. And normally they buy at least one or two copies since I'm specifically um, requesting it. But for I've been uh, working in libraries actually only for about five years now. But in that time span, I've done the selection process where it's you look at the titles, you try and look at your own collection to see what holes you need to fill. Um, and you just look to make sure that you have enough of a selection to where any one person can find at least one book, you know, yeah, so. That's, that's a good rule of thumb, I imagine. And, and it's hard to imagine what that one, per, what one, odd, one person who right? wants one, some specific thing might be exactly. looking for. Exactly. So you talked about the third party vendors. I, I have recently learned a little bit about how libraries go about selecting <laughs> their books and, yeah. and what, one thing that they do at my library, which I really like, is they have, they obviously use the third party vendors, but they also take requests from patrons and, and try to try to stock local authors books and that kind of thing. And also they've started, I'm not sure how they select them, but they have definitely started uh, stocking self-published books. 
That is up to, so normally what happens is that just like every other business, the collections department of the library has a certain budget for their fiscal year. And then it's up to them really about how they're going to dole out that money. A certain percentage goes towards just collection development from the collection team. Certain percentage of that is going to go towards purchasing replacement books. Certain percentage of that budget is going to go towards those requests for, by patrons. A lot of times the collections team is restricted based on their contract with the vendor. So it can be difficult to buy some of those self-published books, but certainly if it's a community-based book, for example, I just had a local author bring her book to me to, to be considered for the collection. And it's a history of the education of the county, of Black Americans living in Hanover County. Certainly, that's not something that our third-party vendor is going to have. So we'll see about how we need to make the accommodations to go ahead and get that and put it in the collection. So usually it's a case-by-case scenario in that type of aspect. So actually, let's get back to you. You said that you've only been working in the library world for five years. What led you into it and what were you doing before? I am the wife of a retired military uh, member. My husband did uh, 20 years active duty in the Army, so my job was to follow him around and raise the children. Yes, I worked here and there when I could. He, he was very committed to making sure that his career stabilized our life and our livelihood and our livelihood. So, you know, I really couldn't embark on a career where I was there for the children. So... It was really only after we moved the final time up to Virginia where I was like, okay, so it's my turn. Um, I'm going to start finishing my education and I'm going to go ahead and focus on me. And online, everything is not new to me. I actually did all of my degrees online. I did my associates, my bachelor's and my master's all online. So this format is very familiar with me. So it was a stumbling block to get into libraries because I was in the museum world for three years. I got laid off and then a library job popped up and I got hired. And then within six months, I was enrolled in a a master's program for library science. So, you know, I'm one of those walking cliche, walking library cliches of, oh, I love books and I love to read. And I was that kid for summer reading at the library that I did all of the things. Yes, that was me. I am that walking cliche. So I just cycled my way back home to my first love. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, that sounds wonderful. I have to say the idea of being able to live in a library for most of the time sounds heavenly to me. That is life. I do live in the library, although I don't read quite as much as I did because I now have to work, but you know. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you spend your day with books and reading and all that sort of stuff, but you still find time to read for your own pleasure. Yes. And you read historical fiction, I, I guess, do. a lot of the time. Are there that any is particular drug of choice? <laughs> yes. Are there any particular genres of historical fiction that appeal to you? Any and all. I just love a good story. And I like when authors can really find a unique person or just a unique timeline that really hasn't gotten the mass media attention. So that really, that's really a selling point for me. Chris Gortner is, he's one who just finds, 
Yes, I know we all must pay homage because he finds the most unique characters. And it's like, how do you find these people? And he does it brilliantly in Donna Russo Morin. Again, you find these people and you find these topics and it's just so empowering. Alison Pataki recently wrote about Napoleon's first love, Desiree. Who knew this person like was even in existence and was yeah. part of this whole Napoleonic trial and era saga? But that's what I gravitate towards. I gravitate towards the unique. Stephanie Thornton, her, oh, her yes. Genghis Khan book, like her Alexander the Great. It's like, I love that. I really love that. I wish from your lips to the publishing world's ears. <laughs> <laughs> I, yes. I, I, I have to tell you a little tiny factoid about Chris Gortner, who is just a really wonderful, generous person. He actually designed the cover for my book, oh. Listen to the Wind. Yes. Uh, no. He did it just as a favor <laughs> to me, which was so sweet and so generous. It was really my first sort of foray into, uh-huh. into in, in not into... Uh, hybrid publishing. Right. No, I remember when you did that. Yeah. So yeah, book three is coming in next year. (laughs) (laughs) I have my fingers crossed because I've read the other ones. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. But but this isn't about me. It's about you. (laughs) Of course it's about you. But no, here's the thing. Like, I love the uniqueness of what authors can find and what authors fall in love with. But I understand the publishing world. The, The saturation for World War II topics, right? Let's put it out this way. Yes, the saturation has been there, but there have been some amazing books that's come out of that. You've got both books by uh, Kate Quinn. For the oh, World God, War, they're you know, so good. The yeah. Alice Network and The Huntress. You've got The Tattooist of Auschwitz that came out. These are really powerful, just wonderfully done books. Pam Jenoff's The Lost Girls of Paris. These yeah. books never would have been written if it wasn't for this historical anniversary. For that, I'm grateful. But again, I'm like, over it. It's, I cannot read another World War II book right now. It's <laughs> going to have to wait. <laughs> yeah, and I, it's so funny because recently I hadn't read many historical romances, for instance. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really into the whole romance thing. I don't right. know why. Maybe it was a bit of snobbery on my part, which is I... very misplaced because I have read several that are wonderful. You know what? There's a balance, though. There's a balance between a historical romance and a Harlequin. Harlequin wants to sell itself as historical romance. It's not. Let's just put it out there. I'm sorry, Harlequin. You are not historical romance. But there are some wonderful... Irina Shapira, if you haven't read any of her stuff yet. I have one on my Kindle. I have one on my Kindle. Fantastic. And she's thought, not a very well-known author, but her stuff is amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. I, so. I, I fell in love. The first one was, I'm going to skip over it because it's not coming to me. Senior memory Senior thing memory, here. Got it. I call it COVID <laughs> brain. So. Yeah, co- oh, COVID brain. It's yes. But I just read one of Piper Hugley's books. She's, it's, a, it's called the, not the preacher's wife. I don't know, but it's post-Civil War South with former slaves. Okay. And it is so good. It was really good. I'm going to read the rest of them in, in her series. I'm hoping to get her to, I've asked her if she'll come on the podcast because I'd really love to talk to I her about I read, it. I read Unnecessary Sins, which is like in that Civil War antebellum period. I think that's Elizabeth Bell. And yeah. there are so many new authors coming on the scene and I feel yes. really bad because 
When I, I try to get some new authors read so I can help them promote their livelihood and stuff, but all my good authors, such as you guys, you just keep coming out with books and I just don't have time. <laughs> oh, have time. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. I had a big, I had a big gap. I had a seven year gap yeah. between my last, mm-hmm. one. so I'm making up for lost time now. But then you so. like put out a few books like right in a row though. So, yeah. but I hasten to add, those were not brand new books for me. They had been, I had written them years ago. So mm-hmm. I was, I was editing and fixing and everything like wow. that. It would, I could never have written them all. In that <laughs> <time>. <laughs> so, so my dear, have you ever thought about writing historical fiction? Um, honestly, sometimes little ideas perk up, but I was able to weasel my way out of not writing a thesis and not writing a dissertation. So <laughs> Again, it's a time thing. I think that I, could I potentially do a story? Sure. Would I have the patience to invest the time? Probably not. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm content with where I'm at right now. I love being a librarian. I love the relationships that I've built with all of my author friends, as I call you guys, being able to be on your book launch teams and promote you via Facebook and social media and get the reviews on Goodreads. And and I really like that. So I think that if I tried to do something more, it would take away from those other aspects of me that I really enjoy. Yeah. There's this weird paradox with writers. I love to write and I work really hard on my books and I, being a writer makes me read differently too. Yes. And I'm glad that I can still, I find lots of books that I can really immerse myself in and enjoy and love, but I'm always looking when something wonderful happens. I think, how did, how did she do that? Yeah. <laughs> That's good. There's a good reviewer, and I think you actually interviewed her, Erin Davies. Um, oh, yes, I interviewed you know, her yesterday. <laughs> mega book reviewer. How she goes through the number of books that she goes th- through it is still beyond my comprehension. And while I applaud her for that, that's not me. I don't want to. I don't want to go through a book that quickly. I want to. I'm not a fast reader. Mm-hmm. I want to just sit back, and it might take me a week or so to actually read through a book. But that's my enjoyment. That's my downtime. So if I, if I rush through a book, I might totally forget what it's about. Now, granted, I'm usually going to forget what it's about the second I close the cover. Uh, um, yeah, I, I forget but, what my books are about see, sometimes. And, and I, I, do, I do not remember the names of characters from my earlier I, books. Exactly. And people always ask me, what are you reading? I'm like, honestly, I don't know. I couldn't even <laughs> tell you what the title is. I said, I, know, I can tell you it's by this person. And it's 100% historical fiction. Like nine times out of 10, I cannot even recite the title because A, it's on my Kindle, and B, it's just, that's not important to me. What's important to me is how the offer was successfully able to get the thoughts on paper and write a compelling story that had me interested. Okay, I remembered the title of the book I was trying to think of. Okay. Flowers from the Storm. Oh, okay. Which is by, she says, going to her Kindle library, (laughs) <laughs> which is by Laura Kinsale. Okay. Really fabulous. Amazingly well-researched. Uh, great, surprising story. Fabulous characters. Yeah. Uh, and as a ro- it ticks all the boxes for romance uh, as well. And how she does that, I, I, she's, it's really good. 
See, a lot yeah. of people, Outlander is a prime example of, you know, how just people just get on a bandwagon and they run with it. And a lot of people love that series and I applaud them for being able to read every single one of the 500 page books that came out. I read the first one. I liked it. That being said, I wasn't wholeheartedly immersed with the storyline to worry about reading the next six. Yeah. For me, it's not always about what's popular. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's certainly more about the authors that I know I'm almost always going to read. Michelle Moran is another one. Um, oh, yeah. She's been holding out on us, and she uh, better publish one here shortly, because yeah. her and she I are turned, about to have some words. She <laughs> turned down a book contract because of COVID-19. Yeah, so her and I are about to have some words, because it's been way too long since way a book Way too long, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And oh, she's a lovely I, person too. That's the thing is that I almost always find the, the, the authors whose work I really like are also somehow people I feel like I can connect to yes. as people. I don't think there's been a single, again, my author friends, I don't think there's been a single one of you that I've met or interacted with that I haven't also wanted to go and have lunch with or go and have a drink with. And I think we all gravitate towards historical fiction because we are all history book nerds. And that's, it's a mindset and that's who we are. And that just makes us gravitate towards one another. Heather Webb and Eliza Knight and Stephanie Dre and Sophie and all of those. Okay, Lauren Willig is another one. Yeah, oh, yeah. delightful, delightful. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you yeah. just... Now, I don't know if I could keep up with Stephanie and her hikes through Alaska wilderness, but, you know. Oh, yeah, I know. My, I have a brother who, my youngest brother lived in Alaska for a very long time uh-huh. with his own house in Fairbanks. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. But I know, I've never been there. So it's fun for me to see what maybe Stephanie's it. up to. Maybe we can get the Historical Novel Society Conference in Alaska one day. <laughs> oh. That would I be fun. I think we should advocate for that. I think that's a really good idea. (laughs) Stephanie would appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Lauren's next book, which is coming out, is centered vaguely, although it's not, most of it doesn't take place here, uh, half a mile away from me, where I live. Oh. It's it's about, it has to do with Smith College, with with women who went to Smith College in World War I. I'm so excited to read it, and we've talked, and I think that when things are, <laughs> things calm down, she'll come here, and we'll hang out. <laughs> oh, wouldn't it be lovely? It really would. It really would. I remember when she said that she had finished the, the edits and submitted that book, because that mm-hmm. wasn't that long ago, so yeah. Wow, I know. It's crazy. Yeah, so is there anything you particularly want to say that I haven't thought of asking you? Gosh, I just want y'all to keep writing. Don't ever let me run out of stuff to read. Granted, that won't ever happen, but again, the process by which you guys find your your subject is just amazing to me. Like, sometimes you dream about it. Sometimes you just haphazardly come across an idea by reading another book. Sometimes you just... There are so many ways that you guys come up with good content for your material and that to me is just the most gratifying thing as a reader because it's not the same old same old all the time and I think that's what people always make fun of me because why are you always reading historical fiction why do you want to learn something and it's it's, you know I do have a history degree but okay um I like the spin that authors put on any given person or event. 
And it really makes it come alive. Your recent series, again, like those people have just been forgotten in time and you just, you bring them back to life. And that for me, that's what makes historical fiction so fun. It really just enlivens those that, you know, have been forgotten about by time and through the passage of time. And it's just, it's fun to, to see history unfold in an, each person's perspective. Yes, and even with even when there are things that go that are like fads, like the tutors or something, mm-hmm. nobody writes the same book. No. So you're always getting a different perspective. Yeah. Well, it has been absolutely fabulous to it's talk to you, lovely. Kate. Yes. yes. Thank you so much. Do you have any? Do you want to leave? Do you have a website or anything like that? Or are you not one yeah. of those? I am not one of those. And that's what makes me, I think, one of the the most underrated reviewers because I don't have a blog. I don't have a podcast. I don't have a website. I literally will read your book. I will provide you with my own opinion and I will post it on Goodreads and Amazon. And if I remember, it'll go to like Barnes and Nobles and iBooks and stuff. But when I give reviews, and, and you've seen my reviews before, when I give reviews, again, it's my opinion. You oh know, yeah. You either like my opinion or you don't like my opinion, and that's fine. But I'm not going to summarize the book because that's already been done. Yeah. And yeah. the publisher took time with the author to come up with a, a good summary. I don't need to do that. You want authors want honest opinions about how their book resonates with their readers, and that's what I give. Nope, I don't have a website. People can just look for Kate Clifford Emenheiser on Goodreads if they really want to find out what my opinion is on certain titles. But there you go. That's it. I read and I, I read what I want and I support who I can in the ways that I can. So there you go. <laughs> and we all appreciate it so much. I'm sure your library of patrons appreciate what you do as well. And I thank you a ton for talking to me and now I feel like I really know you and when things change we will definitely have that drink together we will definitely have that drink together absolutely good luck to you in this new path that you're taking as as you continue to just put more and more things in your lap to accomplish (laughs) but I really think that you're going to generate a lot of good vibes with this so congratulations well thank you so much 